0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
3: Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix.
2: With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has
1: pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com
3: to book your appointment online today. That's T E R M I N I X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
2: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt.
1: My name is
3: Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined as always with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Fellow conspiracy realists, longtime listeners, and uh, newly joined listeners alike, uh, we often say that you are the most important part of the show. That is true. And we like to spend some time once a week sharing. The best part of the show, your ideas and your stories with your fellow listeners. We've got some great stuff coming up here. We're going to do something maybe a little bit different toward the end of this episode because we talked about this a little bit off air. We are on the cusp of, I don't know about you guys, but my favorite holiday. As soon as the weather starts to turn, I can hear it. You know, I can feel it, like how you can feel rain on the wind. Halloween is coming, gentlemen. When
1: the... When the hack and sack start yowling. Yes. You know, that, uh, yes. Halloween is Grinch night, baby. That Shoot. was,
3: it's so good. It holds up. Halloween it's is so Grinch weird. Night. It it's up. so psychedelic and weird. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about Hocus Pocus? I'm, I'm just like watching. I don't have time to watch movies right now, but I'm just going to have horror movies on in the background as long as I've possible.
1: actually never seen Hocus Pocus. What? Oh my God. Do it. Do it's it work work, now. Okay. Yeah. One of my right, favorites. Be, be right back. Zoop, 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 zoop. <laughs> uh, that was pretty good. Can yeah, I, mean, I give I want to give everybody a spoiler
2: alert? Do it, do it. Yeah. Do it up. If you're listening to this season of Thirteen Days of Halloween, it is Ooh. coming back, Ben Bolin starred in the first season and he wrote two. I think he wrote two stories for it. Two first one. This season he's back as a writer. One and, yeah, one episode. And there's someone. It's not a dude. It's not a downgrade. We're just making sure everybody gets a chance to oh, write. No,
3: no, no. I'm <laughs> just saying,
2: um, but somebody from the Hocus Pocus universe uh-huh. will be featured
1: in it, yeah. and the Sister Act universe. <laughs> Shh. That's too much information. <laughs> it's not what people. go over. That's too much information.
3: It's also not uh, Miss Lauren Hill. Who was in Sister Act too, but I do yeah. not believe was on camera in Hocus Focus. Uh unclear. Unclear. I have not actually
1: seen it. Uh despite my Zoop Zoop sound effects. Yeah. I did not go watch Hocus Focus. But I plan to wait.
3: We waited for like an hour and a half on this call, man. Sorry Seriously. guys. Stuff <laughs> came
1: up. I, I was watching
3: other things. There's a lot of media out there to uh, consume.
2: Were you watching Squid Game? Squid you know Game? I don't know, that, know what that it's is. It's like the best thing on Netflix right <laughs> it's now. It's pretty good. It.
1: Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, is it like squids fighting? Is it like battle bots but with squid? <sighs> exactly. Exactly.
3: Yeah, that. you could say, you know. Um, so so here's what here's what we'd like to do. Now we ask you, uh, fellow conspiracy realists, uh, at the end of every episode we do, we ask you to reach out to us to share your stories. We have a number of ways to do that. You can write us an email where we're conspiracy at iheartradio.com. You can go to any number of social media platforms and find us. You can say the right words into a mirror in the dark, or you can give us a call directly as Matt likes to say, you can talk to us with your mouth uh, <laughs> at our phone number one eight three three S 833 stdwytk and uh I propose, gentlemen, that we begin the show with a voicemail today. What do you think? Love it.
2: Let's do it. All right, and this message comes from Matt. Yes, you, Matt. Not me, Matt. You.
0: Hey guys. Um, Matt, Ben, um, everybody. I just found out something about the titler circle. The titler cycle. And uh I was wanting you guys to deep dive into that. I haven't dove into it too much, but I just learned about it uh long time listener, well, I guess not long time i guess i i don't know three four years is that long time I don't know but uh just found out about it and we're in a we're not in the the good part of it so uh if you guys would dive into that um my name's matt, and you can you can use my name that's fine, yeah. Thanks for your show, and I listen to it daily. Well, weekly, you know. But thanks for everything you guys do, and have a good
3: one. All right. Well, Matt, this voicemail from a fellow Matt, one of your name colleagues, uh, it it struck you, right? Uh, And it it sent you off down one of our favorite things, a rabbit hole, or respecting the universe of this show, uh, a badger burrow.
2: Yes, it was certainly a badger burrow. And it was delightful to have a, a caller also named Matt. We're not quite up there in the echelons of the Bens, but Matt's are pretty yeah. great. Uh, the Knolls, very unique. Uh, Ooh, yeah, so
1: unique he couldn't even remember my name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I love it when people write to us and they just haven't seen your name before and they spell it with a K.
1: There's like a whole a- thread on <laughs> uh, the the page, I believe, about people mis- misspelling my name, and I just I, I cleared it all up. It's spelled Qanoll, Q A N O L L. That is how you spell it. Perfect. The Q is silent.
2: Very good, uh, Matt. Just speaking to you directly now. You asked about something called the Titler's Cycle. Now, the first thing you're going to notice if you do the old DuckDuckGo slash Google slash whatever you search for on the internet uh, for this thing, you need to know that it's spelled T-Y-T-L-E-R apostrophe S cycle. Uh, The first thing you might hit is something called Titler's Cycle. It's a Wisconsin-based motorcycle dealer. That's not what we're looking for. But they do have a beautiful 2020 Ducati Super Legra, I don't know how to say it. V4 for only $100,000. So Oh, tight. All right. There you go. So that's what uh, we're doing later? Yep, that's it. We're all going to pool our money and <laughs> yeah. lease a 2020 <laughs> Ducati uh, somehow. Uh, but no, we. Uh, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking right. for something that you will find all over the place. Mm-hmm. not often in, let's say, widespread publications of news. A lot of times I'm finding this on blogs and very specifically leaning, usually right-leaning websites. Doesn't mean anything necessarily, but as we begin to explore it, that's what you may find as you as you begin your own research.
3: Oh, and we should say, Matt and Matt, that mm-hmm. a, uh, a number of years ago, we did explore this briefly because it really, pardon the curse words, it really rocked my when, yeah. when I first learned about it. Because you and I, I think you you and I talked about this, right? We're like looking at the and and we may have heard of this before too. Like, uh, this is a sobering thing to learn about right now. If you've never heard of the titler cycle. It has yeah. not been proven, by the way.
2: That's the, We're getting into all this, and we're yes. going to wrap it back around to what we talked about, I believe, last time we mentioned this thing. So Ooh. this is what you need to know. This is a supposed cycle that democracies and empires go through as they are born until the moment that they die, and then they're reborn. And that's supposedly what this is. I'm going to read to you what's found on risley.com, W-R-I-S-L-E-Y.com. They have a very tiny, it's just a kind of a text drop, and it's got a very simple, almost bullet-pointed version of the cycle here. This isn't exactly what is said on every website when this is described, but this is the gist. Uh, It says, The average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years. These nations have progressed through this sequence from bondage to spiritual faith, spiritual faith to great courage, courage to liberty, liberty to abundance, abundance to selfishness, selfishness to apathy, apathy to dependence, dependency back again into bondage. So that's how you can imagine it as a cycle.
3: Mm -hmm. Cue the Lion King music. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm done.
2: That's exactly how much we can play. Perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, that's fair use. Fair use. Yes. And this site, uh, risley.com, just like almost every site you're going to find out there that has this information on it, attributes this to Dr. Alexander Tytler, T-Y-T-L-E-R. And this site describes him as a Scottish professor who wrote a scholarly tome from which this concept comes called, quote, The Athenian Republic, which was published shortly before the 13 American colonies gained independence from Britain. And this site tells you to Google him to learn more. (laughs) Now, the first thing we have to note is that in everything I've looked up, and it's only been a few hours, Honestly, like just to let you know in in full truth here, it's only been a few hours of me digging through sources and looking for information on this. But I did recall our previous conversations that we've had on this subject, and I'm seeing the same thing still. This cycle and the attribution to this person, Alexander or Alex Teitler. Lord Woodhouse, Lee. Yes, appears to be off. There appears to be things that are off here. Um, if you find this actual person, you can find him on Wikipedia, of all places. The name here is Alexander Fraser Taitler, comma Lord Woodhouseley, or Woodhouseley, however you wish to say that. Now, this person did indeed exist. This person was Scottish. They lived in. It says here on Wikipedia, if you are to trust it, 1747 to 1813. This person was a professor of history and Roman antiquities, Greek antiquities at the University of Edinburgh, according to some, I mean, actually cited sources that it has at the bottom here. This person was real. Now, whether or not this person actually wrote this thing, this publication or tome that uh, Risley and, and other sites call the Athenian Republic is in question. It seems as though perhaps this person... Did not write that. If you go to one of our standbys and one of these places where I always feel a little strange, I feel like they want to be the watchman mm-hmm. watching the, the news and other sources online, but I feel like who's watching them. Mm-hmm. You hear me calling you out, Snopes. I, I, I like what you do. I like your mission, but sometimes I'm worried that people will go to you and then stop thinking critically about certain things. But anyway, that's fine. That's Matt. That's Matt's opinion. This Matt, not that Matt. (laughs) But what they say on Snopes is that there is no record of this person, Titler, having authored a work entitled The Fall of the Athenian Republic or The Decline and Fall of the Athenian Republic. And the material that's often quoted to him in these posts, at least according to Snopes, is attributed to other people or should be attributed to other people or just was made up as parts of it were made up
3: with claiming claiming that there was an older provenance to it as a, as kind of a a cheat code for credibility. Yeah. It's also been assigned to uh, or attributed to Tocqueville um, the French writer. Mm -hmm. I think we should hit the, the big, the big headline though, because you beautifully illustrated the cycle the okay. big headline is the argument that democracy is inherently temporary. It is inherently <laughs> ephemeral and it cannot exist for one reason or another as a sustainable form of government for more than a couple of centuries. That's, that's the the argument. And of course, you got a lot of historians in the crowd who are, who are already saying, wait, wait, wait. Well to that, let us respond. Yes, we know. And I think <laughs> that's where you're going with this, Matt. Um, but I would say it's just one note here. Because something is misattributed does not necessarily mean it is untrue, right? The idea at least.
2: Yeah, you're right on there, because you may have noticed that cycle as described feels like something familiar. It feels like something you may be experiencing or watching happening, depending on your worldview. Mm-hmm. Um it feels right. It's one of these things. I, I was having a conversation randomly on Clubhouse with some people about UFOs and a topic of conversation came up about, about which sources to trust and what, what do you choose to believe when you read something. And one of the main themes in that conversation was that a person said they go with what their heart tells them is true, right? Like, I feel that it's real. <laughs> Wait, well, <laughs> well this is a common thing, and I think a lot of us do it. I know I do it sometimes. Where if something feels right to me, I will go down that path and explore it further because I am now skeptical of my own feelings about ooh, things. Ooh. <laughs> because, Trust
1: but verify, bro. Trust but verify.
2: Yeah, that's a tough way to live, man. And we we live it now every day. I think many of us. I know I know uh, people on this on this. Uh, zoom right now do it just stinks because this thing this titler cycle feels very much real like if you look around you can see society in many ways looking and feeling like it's on the verge of collapse or it's on a downward trend right right um and a lot of that has to do with With economy cycles that are real and you can you can look up tons of scholarly information on economic cycles and how these things really do function how you can you can show them when there's moments of growth there's only one way to go down a little bit to have more growth a lot of this has to do with capitalism with resources that are available with you know jobs there's there's so many things that kind of go in together. To make up whether or not a society and or country is on is on the rise or on decline. It's a really big topic. Mm -hmm. Again, so many variables, so much to consider. But right now, in this moment, as we watch the world burn to some extent and flood and, you know, uh, as resource wars continue, as all these things happen, it feels like, yeah, we might be towards the end. And this is illustrated in, I'm going to just give you this article. You can read it on your own. It's from medium.com. It was posted March 5th, I believe, of this year by a person named Charles Stephen. The title is Rapid American Decline Imminent as It Reaches the End of the Society Cycle. This person cites the same cycle uh, that's written out here this article cites the same cycles referring to the same cycle we're talking about here, the Titler cycle. They do a great job of linking to actual news of what's happening and kind of connecting that back to moments in the cycle. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. It's definitely like someone observing and making things fit to a paradigm, like having, having all your cutouts on the table and then just seeing what over here fits into those pieces. Um, It's a fascinating read. The thing I want to connect it back to, Ben, is this MIT study that we've mentioned before in the past. You can read about this on Vice. There's a Vice article titled, MIT predicted in 1972 that society will collapse this century, meaning the one we're in right now. New research shows we're on schedule. This was posted by Nafiz Ahmed. This was July of 2021 and it's mentioning an old book. It's an old standby that we like to we like to name check every once in a while here on the show Limits to Growth. Ooh. This is a book that came out in 1972. There was a or 1970. It was about 1970, I want to say, and then they made a 30-year update that was published in 2004. And both of these things are looking at economic growth, resource usage, population growth, All of these statistics that we mentioned here that go into measuring a society, a a civilization, a species even, in fact, our species, and how well we're doing and how much longer we have in this kind of happy zone of people still have jobs. Sometimes people still make some money. People still have some food, although that doesn't apply across the board, right? This is really looking it's almost an American or Western centric view.
3: Oh, very much so. Yeah. So this is, as you said, Matt. This is a a huge topic, and with so many variables at play, it's important to note that people can either consciously or unconsciously tend to prioritize the variables that, when included, will most closely reflect their own inherent assumptions or worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's something everybody does, as as you pointed out earlier. The interesting thing, though, is that when we're talking about the decline of any human civilization, it's very rare for that decline to be something that we would consider rapid on an individual level. You know, um, worlds tend to go out with not a bang, but with a whimper, you know, from the, from the ancient days of early humanity to maybe the modern day. You know, there's not a, there's not a switch that someone flips that makes uh, civilization non-viable, but also I think it's a good time to reassess the Titler cycle. Whomever actually came up with the idea, maybe we can do maybe we can do another episode on it because what's changed and what the original authors purported or real didn't predict was global communication systems uh, and how those would. Affect the cycle, whether they mitigate it or exacerbate it, and the money's still out on what that effect will be. So I'm, I'm massively interested in this. You know, as we talked before, off and on air, I had had some dealings with folks that were attempting to build programs to predict the future, and I don't know how close they got. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Sometimes it bugs me, but they, they, um, this kind of simulation theory and this kind of application uh can give progress toward proving, revising or disproving this cycle, this claimed cycle. And and I love that you pointed out that there are some generalities in here that need to be that need to be addressed. Most modern interpretations, correct me if I'm wrong, most modern interpretations point to the skyrocketing rise in inequality, correct? Like that's what they say, like, that's the modern version of what's happening, and look at what happened with France, and blah, blah, blah.
2: Yeah, in- inequality is is a major factor in most of the places I've found. I think it is the Times Standard as well as commonsensegovernment.com. A lot of them point to to that. Uh, but, they, you know, it's it's everything, though. It's also just overproduction resources that are falling short, mm-hmm. like a lot of the rare earth Elements that are falling short of what we, you know, need them to be in order to continue growth. Helium. Um, helium
3: is a big, big one. That's can you why the moon if, is so important. Can you imagine if that's how we go down? It's helium, man. <laughs> that's how civilization goes down. Can you imagine thousands and thousands of years of civilization making slow and sometimes painful progress? And it's the helium. It's the goddamn helium. That is such a bummer.
2: Uh, yeah. So there's a lot more to learn about this. I'd, I'd love to explore it further with you guys. Uh, thank you, Matt, for sharing that with us. I hope this was helpful in some way. For now, we'll take a quick break. Hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more messages from you. Not Matt. Not you. Already had yours,
3: Matt. It'll we will start the toddler. Constant cycle this no revival. By our motorcycles.
2: Oh, <laughs> we're in Wisconsin and we're tired of our cycles. <laughs> Genius. I'm leaving that in. Yes, please, <laughs> please, please.
0: The
1: 2024
0: presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.
3: Snag a Job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs
1: on demand. Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop.
3: to talk to an expert snagajob.com where america goes to hire
1: And we're back with another message from you. That's right, you, the public, the conspiracy realists of the world. Uh, Today's message comes from Evan, a.k.a. Dean Yan. And he's writing in regards to a strange news article that I uh, brought to the table uh, in our last episode, I believe, about an absurdly gigantic statue of uh, the Chinese war god um, an actual historical figure that was deified uh, posthumously named Guan Yu and guys you'll recall uh, this was specifically referring to the fact that the statue itself was very 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 expensive something in the neighborhood of 24 million American dollars Um, and because of some regional politics that we were not fully able to unpack there is a call to move the statue uh, mere miles away um, at the incredibly hefty price tag of around $20 million American dollars. Uh, so somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 million less than what the statue cost to build in the first place. Um, and uh, Evan had some really interesting insight uh, around why um, this would be such a priority that, that this money would be spent in this way. When the Chinese government criticized the statue in the first place for being a waste of money. Um, here we go hello guys I listened to your recent listener mail and wanted to chime in about the figure of Guan Yu that you mentioned as some of the significant aspects of that figure which come to my mind were not mentioned in your as always excellent riveting and relevant coverage of the topic that is very very kind um, I'd also like to share some of the knowledge and stories that I accumulated over nearly a decade living and working in China and studying Chinese language and culture it's exactly the kind of stuff we needed because honestly Ben um, you'll recall you were looking into this uh, you know kind of in real time um, and a lot of the sources were Chinese language news newspapers, which, as we know, you know, the Chinese uh, media is eh, somewhat biased, (laughs) to say the least. And so it was a little bit tough to wrap our heads around why uh, such a fuss was being made. There was some Chinese building organizations or, I guess, um, agencies that said that it was done illegally because of uh, height limitations in the area um, for buildings. And then the folks that actually built it claimed that it wasn't a building, so it didn't count. Um, But you put forth, Ben, that there might have been some kind of regional politics that maybe we weren't quite getting clued into. Um, And that does appear to be the case. So here we go. Guan Yu may be controversial now because he is a figure bound up in regionalism um, as he came to prominence during the Warring States period of the collapse of the Han Dynasty. He served a state that was mostly based in central and southern China against northern powers of Wai and Yuan states. Uh, You can see this today in travels throughout China. In certain regions, mostly the south, including Hong Kong, you will see small shrines or altars with red candle-shaped lights and statuary of Guan Yu Whereas these altars are extremely uncommon in northern China, where I used to live. If a home or business does have this kind of altar, it usually wouldn't contain Guan Yu statuary. Uh, If you see Chinese owned or Chinese diaspora, Cambodian Chinese, Lao Chinese, etc. Also have these businesses operating in your area, uh, which have these shrines. I used to see many in Hong Kong immigrant dominated areas of San Francisco. You can have a pretty good guess that they are not northerners. Moreover, he is most associated with the bonds that he formed with two other famous warrior statesman figures, uh, Liu Bai and Shang Fei, uh, in that they pledged a bond of brotherhood, agreed to support each other in battle and politics, and also pledged to die on the same day. This kind of bond, plus Guan Yu's martial associations, make him a popular figure not only with law enforcement, um, as we did mention in the episode, but also, ironically, with organized crime or any group which is meant to operate on interpersonal loyalty and even vaguely martial brotherhood. Ben, you brought that up too. Very, very sharp uh, that this was a possibility. There is a kind of iconography that if his famous weapon is depicted held in one hand, it signifies his righteous aspect, police, or if in the other hand, it signifies the other aspect, mafia, although I think this is likely more of a movie trope. So, given that he is associated with central and southern Chinese regionalism, and to a certain extent with organized crime, it would make sense that he would be unpopular at a time of strong central control emanating from Beijing, which is not only the capital, but also the major metropolis. Of the North. Although I want to note, it could just be someone in a bureaucratic position of power being totally capricious. A friend worked for a large German architecture firm and he had some stories about really bizarre occurrences in the planning and building phases of projects, e.g., someone whose corporation wants to curry favor with a well connected feng shui enthusiast. Uh, invites that person to consult with the architecture firm. Said person recommends that all plans for the building be rotated by two degrees in such and such an orientation, and lo, it must be done, regardless of the architect or funder's thoughts on the matter. My question is, who precisely has to pay for the relocation, as there is not commonly centrally available funds for things like this? The 2008 Olympics, for example, was the fiasco because Beijing municipality was counting on allocation of central government funds, which were at a relatively late stage denied. This would probably elucidate the motivation for this more than anything. Um, What you said about local residents claiming the statue is an eyesore is totally American and not relevant at all to China. What locals think about anything mostly doesn't matter unless they happen to have a whole lot of pull, i.e. high position in an important bureau, and there isn't the same sense of eyesores in a country dominated almost entirely by huge, brutalist, concrete, Soviet-style buildings, which loom dishearteningly. Over everything, um, yeah. There's a there's a little bit more, but I think that's a great place to stop and and, and pick up the conversation. Uh, ben, I thought this was really uh, uh, supported a lot of your theories quite significantly. You you brought up the regionalism aspect and also potential ties to organized crime, whether in funding or in perception. Um, what do you think about uh, 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 Evan's um, uh, read on this?
3: Uh, you know, Evan. I- I greatly appreciated this letter as well. And um, I think you're a good writer too. Agreed. Uh, I hope you, you hear this. Uh, there are some things toward the end of the letter that I regretfully do have to agree with. <laughs> and I hope your friends are safe and I hope this letter finds you or this show finds you safe as well. Uh, nice Luxotica shout out. We've got to get to those folks at some point. Um, yeah i I kept looking at this too, and I contacted uh some friends of mine who are uh Chinese nationals to help me with some of the w- with some of the reporting because I can like muddle through some of the stuff, but if you want to fully understand to get a read on a higher level of this language than I do and the fascinating thing here to me is the universality of <laughs> of weird, absurd, surreal situations that humans can find themselves in. You know, you're you're at a large architecture firm. This happens, by the way, uh, not just with large statues, but this happens with almost any large mission, large multiple human endeavor. Like if you've ever worked production on a film, you've seen producers just arbitrarily change some stuff because it was a great day for them, it was a bad day for them, or their nine-year-old was like, Dad, I love sharks.
1: Right, and
3: that's how Sharknado literally was uh, created. Yeah, Matt, what what's going on?
2: I'm so sorry. I just had an epiphany. I am so sorry. I'm no, please. In this message, Evan Evan is mentioning uh, Guan Yu, Mm -hmm. Lu Bei, and uh, Zhang Fei, Mm -hmm. and I was like, man, I know these characters. Why do I know these characters? Fighting game. Lu Bei hit it for me. It's Dynasty Warriors. Yeah, I don't know if you guys ever played that. Whoa. It all was I le- was I learning about like some actual thing that happened when sure. I was playing those games? <laughs> yeah, it's like c- civil-
1: civilization was very similar, right? It was all about different real like Roman historical figures and stuff. A lot of those games had like, you know, uh, a hidden learning opportunities in them, I think.
2: But that really. was just like a beat 'em up. I'm just going to mash all these
1: buttons. I'm going to Oh, it was a fighting game. It was yeah, like a a okay. history though. <laughs>
3: You're fighting for history oh
2: sorry I, I i just can't believe that I was playing those games as a younger person a kid, and just like you thought they were all made up i i I don't know I guess wow, oh, it's fascinating
3: it is it is, and you know i I think it's always fun to dive into those like the the stories or the purported stories there because most most good stories, most solid works of fiction have a, a structure based in truth. You know, even the really out there stuff like Donald Barthelme or um, Borges, they, hmm. they, they start somewhere uh, before they get really weird. But with, with this case, um, with Evan's excellent letter here, one thing that I was also interested in, first, yes, thank you for sending this letter because it is important for people, especially in the West, to get stories, to get reporting from people who have firsthand experience. The mainstream news, which I know sounds like a controversial phrase, but for better or worse, tends to follow a kind of lockstep narrative based on a country or based on whatever current movement is popular in the national zeitgeist, especially here in the U.S. So so one thing that might surprise people is that organized crime in China which, which you mentioned, Evan, organized crime in China works a little bit differently than the organized crime you might think of here in the States with stuff like Capone and The Godfather and... Um, oh, The Sopranos. There it is. Sure. There it is. Okay.
1: like Is it less family-oriented and more like syndicate kind of oriented?
3: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, in both cases, they are definitely organizations and they're doing crime. Uh, but in China, we're talking about uh, what are called the triads uh, mm-hmm. t r i a d and these organizations have expanded throughout the chinese diaspora including expanding into the united states it's interesting because there's there are distinct distinct aspects by region and from what I understand, they function a lot like secret societies, like real life secret societies.
1: Well, the the triad that you're talking about, I mean, it has ancient roots. Like, I mean, it right. dates back to um, the, I believe, 17th century, uh, where it was, you know, one of uh, three of the most prominent secret societies, and it was established in Macau, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and uh, China. So it already had kind of like international branches, but it continues. To this
3: day hmm and so kind of the same way that maybe in the West um, stories about the yakuza might confuse people, uh, you know when you hear like oh these guys that are Japanese mobsters are out giving away Halloween candy or they're help- helping earthquake victims. they're doing things that we wouldn't associate maybe with criminal acts uh, so I, I would say that I can completely see I can completely see corruption. As part of this, I can also I don't know the the things that would lead to the statue actually being moved, like Evan pointed out, they're they're kind of they're kind of hard to discern unless you're on the inside. To be very clear, no one on this show at least at this point is saying that a triad was involved. Just saying they're around. That, that's all I'm saying. I'm saying they're yep. around. <laughs> I I, th- I think to,
1: to your point, Ben, and to Evan's point. It would certainly take a, someone with a whole lot of pull to make a move like this happen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Since it's not truly, it seems like the line, you know, about historic preservation or about it uh, ruining the vibe of the area in some way, um, according to Evan, you know, who who lived there long enough, I think, to know, it feels like that's not as much of a... Uh, Uh, a mover, you know, Uh, especially since, I mean, people saw it when it was getting built. They don't build a statue like that in a day. Uh, Mm -hmm. It seems like some kind of power player, whether in an agency or perhaps with organized crime. Um, No, but the organized crime people
3: would like it. Right. Isn't that the deal? So, yeah, what this is the last big point I have from this. And I think Evan already, Evan articulated this uh, very well. So, You have to remember whenever, like whenever you hear people talking about a country like Afghanistan, or even talking about a country like um, Greece, or something like that, from the American perspective, from the international perspective, the U.S. is very much a child with dangerous toys. It's been around a little more than two hundred years, and if you're talking about something like the Middle Kingdom, you know the the predecessor of the predecessors of modern China literally date back in the mythology. And we talked about that on the show. So for, for a very, very long time, prior to the communist revolution, like a very long time, uh, different forces, governing forces, were trying to create a unified middle kingdom with a central seat of power and that's something that that's happening today. Like, uh, put the economic ideology and all all that stuff, which is important, to the side for a second, and realize like there is a reason that the government of China has like spends so much time and blood and treasure trying to create a more what they would say unified or harmonious society. So maybe, to Evan's point, maybe this regionalism is something that is seen as um, a possible long-term threat to the status quo. But if that's the case, I'm thinking out loud here, if that's the case, then why does moving it a few miles matter? You know what I mean? Like you, you still would have the problem, would you not?
1: Yeah. That's the part that's so strange to me. And I think what, you know, really made the story catch my eye is it's being moved so close Like, to spend that much money, and again, we don't know where that money is coming from specifically, uh, I would say some pretty powerful forces would have to be at play. And it almost feels like a flex, you know, like to say, you know, we're just going to move it on down the road at the the bill of, you know, $20 million. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? I think... I don't have anything to add, guys. You just I need really to get uh, an emulator version of Dynasty Warrior. That's where your head's at. Right
2: I now. think there's probably new, an update. There's always a new version. There's and, a Dynasty Warriors Nine? Oh, it's but they see then there's Samurai Warriors now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know there are a couple other different ones like that. I uh, just need Internet to look Warriors in
3: there. Three. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. I didn't realize that this the genre of these games is called hack and slash. You yes. That's, that's exactly term? what it is. <laughs> I have never heard that term until I was just looking into these. Like Ninja Gaiden is considered a hack and slash game.
2: There are literally hundreds of thousands of enemies and you do the
3: same
1: thing to all of them that's over, what and I, over and I over I love yeah. I So really it's like a brawler. Is it a side mm-hmm. scroll
3: kind of brawler type? Like, uh, like, 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 like dragon a third person elevated view. Okay, like on Skyrim maybe I think you can do it on Fallout. I don't know. I think Fallout is first person. But but yeah, I, one of the coolest things about this letter is, uh, in my opinion, that we're, we're hearing in depth, again, from somebody who has actually mm-hmm. visited the place. So if you have spent time in China, I'd love to hear about it. If you spent time in any country that you feel is unfamiliar to the West and you have a story you would like to share, then please, yeah, send it to us. Um, we do read every email we get. We follow up on this, and we hope you agree that it's important um, for everyone. Conspiracy realist, skeptic, what have you, to be more aware of real life in other parts of the world.
2: There's a group of like a triad group in New York City, according to LOC.gov, called the Ghost
3: Shadows. The names, okay. I'm gonna say this part. And this is just my opinion, man, but the names are super cool. I'm not that's not condoning organized crime. Nobody send us that email. Dude. But the names are really cool, right? We can say we can agree on that.
2: Agreed. The flying dragons. I'll join. Let's go.
3: I know. And the other people in the West, you got stuff where it's like, oh, we're the burn bum boys or whatever. And it's like, try it harder. You know, <laughs> yeah. I made up burn bum boys.
1: Uh... Sounds like a good bluegrass band. It should be on Prairie Home Companion. Oh, wait, that's canceled. Now it's called live from here. And uh, we're not live from here or anywhere. Um, We are a podcast, of course. Uh, So that means we have to have an ad break. We're going to do that now. We'll be back with more Listener Mail.
3: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Snag a Job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand.
1: Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop. Podcast
3: producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that.
1: With their easy-to-use platform, you're able
2: to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way.
1: Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like
3: that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 2424 two four to talk to an expert.
1: Snagajob.com where America goes to hire.
3: And we have returned like those villains in fairy tales. Someone shows up at the court and says, I have a gift for the child. <laughs> it's true. It's it's Halloween. It's on the way. Oh, the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit differently uh, to end, uh, to, to close the segment this week. And, that is a bit of story time. We spend so much time asking you for your stories. We've received fascinating tales, some of which we ourselves are at a loss to explain, right? Stories of seeing strange things in the woods or strange things in the sky. And over the years, we've received a lot of amazing, amazing ghost stories. And we're not, you know, we're not here to say whether or not these are true. Uh, because we were not there. We haven't investigated these things. And um you may have heard in past episodes our collective opinion on the people who pretend to investigate ghosts. Uh, so, so with that being said, I thought, Matt, Noel, Doc, if you all are okay with it, uh, that we could just share a couple spooky stories from our listeners. I love it. Hell yes. All right, here we go. Alien Gibson Girl, who wrote to us to say the following. And uh, Doc, big favor. Can we get some spooky atmospheric music? Jeez,
2: not that spooky. (laughs) We're too spooked,
3: Doc. (laughs) She's going to be so mad. You're going to be so mad at us for asking for like these, just throwing sound cues. But yes, this music you're hearing is perfect. Here we go. Alien Gibson Girl says... Since October is coming up, I have a possible ghost story for you guys that happened when I was around 11 years old. I'm going to preface that during this time, I was a very skeptical kid where I tried to debunk a lot of scary things that would bump in the night, and I was a fan of Scooby-Doo. But this experience was something else and has made me question if this was me and my brother's collective imaginations or... It was at my grandmother's house in Missouri. My brother, nine at the time, and I would spend our summer vacation there and stay in the guest bedroom. We were in a large queen-sized bed with me facing out to a door to the parlor room and my brother on the other side. One night after our grandmother put us into bed, I was looking out into the inky blackness of the parlor room, a cream-colored glowing figure of a woman materialized at the door frame. I remember staring intensely at this object, studying what I just saw. It was a woman with a big floppy hat and a long lace dress around six feet tall with her neck bent to one side. The figure of the woman was softly glowing, but not causing any shadows, nor was lighting up the doorway frame. I nudged my brother and said, Hey, do you see that? And he whimpered and said, Yeah. We immediately started screaming, Grandma! I'm sure you were screaming here. Uh, As soon as we started screaming, the figure collapsed upon itself and it looked like it zipped away. She, grandmother, we assume, comes running in and we are both saying we saw a ghost and we were told we just had a bad nightmare. I'm 31. I would say I'm just as skeptical of ghosts and spirits, but I'm still baffled by what we experience. It is one thing to say if I was the only one to witness it, that it would just be my imagination but my brother saw it at the same time as well. He remembers it too. I did some research on the house. It was built in 1910. I looked up past owners of the house and found no evidence of death in the house. Being built in 1910 checks out because if you Google Gibson girl, the style looks a lot like the figure that me and my brother saw. The only explanation is that there was a window in the parlor and maybe light was shown through the lace curtains and somehow stopped in the doorway. Maybe humidity? or maybe me and my brother were visited by an extraterrestrial gibson girl. I look forward to hearing you guys take a crack at it. Maybe you all can think of something I did not consider. You may use your my story if you guys like a funny name, you can call me haunted by alien gibson girl. So, that that is an account and um alien gibson girl or haunted by, excuse me, uh asked us specifically to think about this, think about this report. So maybe we can let me unpack a little bit here. What do you think? So like, like we've done with the reports of um, done previous reports of unidentified flying objects and sightings. Um, so first things first, two people, right? Two people seeing the same thing at the same time. Uh, let's put their age aside for a moment. And let's also put aside the, um, the treacherous nature of memory over time. Um, but I, I think she's right. It does make it more difficult to dismiss something entirely as imagination if someone else is seeing it, right? Yeah,
2: when you've got an immediate second witness, like simultaneous. Mm-hmm. Come on, something happened, and the the question is, and I love I love that our Gibson girl, <laughs> which is kind of weird to say, I. I've just looked up what a Gibson girl is. We were told to to Google it, and I did, and it is it's this weird, maybe just fashion ideal. I don't know how I would even like describe. Is, is, is it like a, a horse bun? girl?
1: Is it like an e girl? Is like one of those kind of deals?
2: Ah, uh, it's like
3: nineteenth, twentieth centuries. Like mental floss called them the Kardashians of the early nineteen hundreds.
1: Aha! I there see. They know. got a big so old like bun. The- the yeah. it fashion. Yes, I see. Like v- flowing gowns, uh, big old buns, and um, you know, probably very sharp, pointy hairpins. I would imagine, man, these would have been probably likely the type of women that would have rebelled against mashers on the on the you know streetcars. I don't even know what that is. Hat these were you... used as weapons. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mashers were like the proto kind of you know stalker creepers. Ledges. You know, yeah, latches exactly. They called yeah. them mashers. Got
2: it. Uh, well, I'm glad that our Gibson girl uh, is already thinking about things like lace, light through lace. That right. to me seems like something that maybe I've never experienced before. I've never seen uh, maybe a white lace or a cream-colored lace have light shine shone through it and then seeing it somewhere else on a wall or in a doorway. Um, I can imagine that being strange.
3: Yeah, and I like that we're thinking critically here, this is a little tricky because so much time has passed, right? 20 years or so have passed. And at this point, you know, we see due diligence done researching the house, researching events that could have occurred there. Um, We also, we have some missing pieces, like the very skeptical, another very skeptical question would be, uh, did you and your brother, um, do something earlier in the day that may have made an impression on you, like saw some historic exhibit, such that your minds were subconsciously primed to define and recognize a pattern from earlier through the light. That's possible. It's it's possible. It happens with people. Um, check out Darren Brown's work on priming people, um, which is you know controversial, but he's he's using it for good. And then the other question is. Priming aside, human beings have evolved to recognize things and in many, many things, living or non, uh, the human mind seeks to see itself, which I know sounds overly philosophic and hallmarky, but it well, is
1: it's just, it's just like a fancy way of talking about confirmation bias, right? You, like, mm-hmm. you tend to seek out stuff that you already agree with. Or patterns that you already recognize and you want to impart meaning upon them, like hearing a song on the radio after you've just been thinking about that song and Mm -hmm. then thinking there's some kind of, you know, crazy connection with the universe or something, when likely it's just, you know,
3: a coincidence. Right. Or you just don't recognize all the times when it didn't work out. That's exactly Bader-Meinhof, the frequency illusion. It's possible. Of course, our, our nuts and bolts answer, if at all possible, would be to... Go back to that house and try to recreate as as closely as you can the variables involved um, and i I don't know what the circumstances would be or what the best way to do that would be, but that that would be our first step and in this case we're we're unpacking it a little bit simply because haunted by AGG asked us to um, but I will say that when people just want to tell us a scary story, I read them with great relish. And Matt, we've had a few bangers come through on the telephone line as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, we've, we've got spooky stuff all around. <laughs> B- bangers left and right. Mashers.
3: <laughs> crashers. I don't know what else. Haberdashers. <laughs>
1: and of course, flashers.
3: And of Whoa. course, they always come in at the end.
2: Is you know it is a weird thing to happen to your, like through your ears but uh, it's
3: all good. So this uh, this is a going to be a, a shorter third act for us. It's just kind of kicking off the Halloween season. But if you are interested, fellow conspiracy realist, and Matt, Noel, Doc, if, if you all are interested as well, I think it could be fun to share some of these stories in the lead up to Halloween. Maybe it's just something we read toward the end. Um, maybe we do an episode once we get enough spooky stories from a fellow conspiracy realist. Maybe we do an episode where we three are just sharing those stories. You know, um, cool. that would be a lot of fun. We'll gather around the campfire. Uh, yes.
2: Yeah, so please, please send us your ghost stories. Uh, ones that you're happy to have us read aloud. because yeah. that's what we'll do mm-hmm. or call us and leave your ghost story over voicemail. I hereby make it my mission to get through the 99 voicemails that still sit in front of me since September 1st. We will get there.
1: You got 99 problems and a voicemail is 99. All of, of them. them. Yeah, Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I can,
3: uh, I, you know, it's going to be tough for me to get in there, but I can maybe nope. do it mid-October. You
1: are not allowed to, Mr.
2: Bullard.
3: No, you're uh, you're no, working on a
1: secret project I, that I everyone will find out about. I, I literally have a calendar block on one day that says STDWITK voicemails and something inevitably always comes up, and I have to use that time, but I'm going to commit uh, to pitching in with the voicemail tagging as well. Ben, you think nothing of it. Matt, I got your back.
2: Uh, Bangerang,
1: I, I suppose. Oh,
3: Rufio. Mm-hmm. All right.
1: Oh, that guy was at uh, Atlanta Comic Con signing autographs. The line was very short. Uh, I, I felt kind of bad for him, but I really like that character. People just don't appreciate
3: art is what it no, is. They don't. But uh, with that, when you when you do uh, give us a call at our number 1-833-STD-WYTK, you will have three minutes. They're yours. Uh, and we would love to hear your story. If you, uh, if you have a story that needs more than three minutes, don't feel like you have to keep calling the same number. You can write it out in full, just the way Haunted by AGG did. Uh, you can attach links, any photographs, if you've got them. Or, you know, if you have a longer audio file and you just want to record the full tale and then send it to us via email, that's great, too. As always, we cannot wait to hear from you. We're gearing up through the most wonderful time of the year, Halloween, and if you want to be part of our month-ish long celebration, we'd love you to join the crew. All you have to do is send us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Who's got a spooky laugh? Oh, no, that's... Oh, no,
0: that's...
3: Oh. And then, the, and then the clown titter. <laughs> There's
0: a oh, darkness shit. inside
3: me. That's terrifying. <laughs> All right, so we're stopping.
0: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing
1: Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.